General Corinne. It is an honor to escort you, sir. Allow me to say, Nuchnek. <laughs> 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 Hello and welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me are... Dinah McPhail. Max. Emily Bowen-Marler. Strange New Takes will one day be focused on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, but until then, we are chatting all things Trek. Today, we are diving into Lower Decks' second episode, Envoys. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world, and your recommendations will get us there. And if you are subscribed to us through iTunes... Don't forget to give us a five-star rating because you love us and Mm -hmm. you'd feel bad if you were enjoying a podcast and you didn't go and give us that rating. So so do that. That really helps us get on the podcast discovery list for other strange new listeners that we might be able to uh, ensnare. That sounds negative. (laughs) You know, but yes, but yes, basically. So, so put under our spell, right? So, g- give give us that rating. We would really appreciate it. If you leave us comments on iTunes, we will read them on the show. Ooh, yeah. All right, and just a heads up for everyone: this podcast will contain spoilers for the episode. If you haven't seen it yet, feel free to hold off, and if you don't care, just keep on listening. So, for our uh, excuse me, for our episode recap, uh, for anyone who watched the show like yesterday, um, this particular episode, Envoys, is described as, After a high-profile mission goes awry, Boimler is further plagued with self-doubt when Mariner proves herself to be a more naturally talented sci-fi badass than he. Rutherford quits his job in engineering and explores other departments on the USS Cerritos. All right. We always start each episode discussion with our strange new takes. Who's got the strangest, newest, takest... No, no I did that wrong, didn't I? Takiest. <laughs> <laughs> the very takiest of all takes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Max, because Max wasn't able to participate in the last episode, so he didn't even... He wasn't part of the conversation for the pilot. His takes are very strange to us. So yes. New. So new. <laughs> way, way out there. We're going to, like, you know, run this joke say, into man. the ground. But <laughs> keep going, Max. So I just want to go drinking with a Klingon. You know, I, I think that's really my biggest takeaway from this episode. <laughs> I think it's like an ongoing. Like, DS9, you're like, oh, yes. Drink with those Klingons. <laughs> but you want to, like, keep the keys to the shuttle in your pocket. You know, mm. like, keep a close eye on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've seen uh, a Klingon with a bit of uh, kleptomania going on. I, I'm not sure we've seen that before. So, yeah, a few issues, I, I guess, going on there. But, um, yeah, in terms of the Klingon party culture, I've got to say, it sounds pretty nice. Yeah, up until this point, we've seen a lot of like Klingons getting drunk and then challenging each other to like duels and like talking about how the grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was like a coward or whatever. So it's very, it's really like intense at a Klingon bar brawl. But I think this one was like, this is actually fun. It's a little bit like again, like fr- frat broy situation. Emily, a strange new take. Um, well, I it's I don't know if it's a strange new take as much as I just really appreciated that we got to see so many different. Uh, what was it like? Either outposts or what did they call them? Like the Klingon, it wasn't District. the Klingon, 
Klingon district. I like seeing mm-hmm. all the different districts totally. because that's a that's something we have not seen on uh, Star Trek previously. I don't think they aren't very good at showing multiculturalism as a whole. They like mm-hmm. to show one thing, and we just stick with that one thing yeah. for the entire episode or whatever. So I just thought it was kind of cool. It was kind of like a little smorgasbord of different of different areas that we got to experience because there were at least three. I think that we went through in that Definitely. episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I'll I'll go, I'll go after you, which is that I think this expanded the lore a little bit. You know, it mm-hmm. gave us mm-hmm. this city. It showed us these different districts. It showed us mm-hmm. a bar fight that Andorians are in, um, and and it just gave us a lot of fun ways to explore different little parts of Trek that again are usually like in the C plot or something or like it, it's it was just kind of an expansive look at the Trek universe that I really enjoyed. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things that, I mean, I was like sort of continuity from last episode to this episode is I feel like all the things that we were kind of like, eh, you know, I could use some more of this from last episode. We were like, oh, we it, we got delivered. They they gave it to us. So we gave, we gave us a lot more Rutherford. We got like a whole Rutherford side plot or B plot or B plot and B, B plot, whatever we whatever we're doing, um, and then we also got a lot more time to spend with Boimler and Mariner, and sort of really comparing and contrasting their characters. So I think that like the things that we were talking about last episode, they delivered on for this episode, which was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's move into talking about the in-depth episode discussion. Let's start with the storyline. You know, Mariner and Boimler have got to take uh, Corinne down to the federation outpost and it goes horribly wrong shenanigans ensue which mm-hmm. i think if i if i if i have if some pressed on like being critical i think it's a weak concept like there mm. wasn't a lot I, I didn't see like i feel like the stakes didn't come through for me mm. on, on everything that was yeah. happening i I'm, I'm totally with you there i i think that I think we've kind of talked about, I guess, two two of my big takeaways here. You know, Emily was talking about the fact that we're getting to see things that we've never mm-hmm. seen in Star Trek before. And I, you know, in the two episodes that we've had, I think that this show is really kind of fleshing out the universe in a way that maybe we, we haven't seen before. But I think what it's missing maybe is, um, you know, Notch, what you're saying, really this the sense of um, there are stakes here, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are consequences to, to what's going on. It doesn't really feel like there are consequences for, for anything that's happening. And I mean, it is a comedy, right? To so, so maybe to some degree we expect that, but, but I find myself missing that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the, for both plots, what's interesting this, this episode is that like, you know, the writing is still funny. The pacing is still pretty high. The, the visual jokes are all there. Like all of the things that are, that you sort of hope for in a, in a show are all there. But I think for the, these two storylines, you know, Brothersford's storyline was great for us to get to know him and see all of his strengths and the things that he doesn't like to do. But there also, it's also like a very easily avoidable problem that was not avoided. <laughs> and like Tendi didn't have, there was no stakes with Tendi because like nobody got mad at Brotherford for ever needing anything other than what he wanted which is in- so there was like again their stakes aren't there for that storyline and then mariner had literally no reason to actually volunteer for this mission and there's no there, there was no real motivation behind it and so like it was cool to see mariner and boimler like continue yeah. to play off of each other and have the same foibles just in like different maybe they're like a yin yang situation like same foibles but different uh character characterizations but 
there was no reason for her to go, and there was no reason for her to, like, uh, you know, play around with her friend. There's like, there, there, it didn't really make any sense for why these stories were actually happening. So that's my, that would be my takeaway: is that uh, it's not really the storyline didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I will put this out there though in response to that, which is that that is emblematic of why the writing is so good because despite mm-hmm. those weak stakes you come out of this episode or at least i did thinking man that was that was fun i could watch mm-hmm. that again you know it wasn't like mm-hmm. oh man like some of these storylines that don't go anywhere you, right. typically you just have to slog through and you're like well that was pointless i don't want to do that again but mm-hmm. the the writing was of the jokes the placements i think it started out a little bit weaker but it got stronger as time went mm-hmm. on and I will also point out a little fact from Memory Alpha that I'm going to steal, which is that uh, this episode featured the first appearance of several previously encountered species not seen in many years. Uh, a Lurian, last seen in uh, the final episode of Deep Space Nine. And Ariolo, from, which was last seen in The Voyage Home. Arcturians, which were in the Star Trek The Motion Picture. And Vendorians, which were last in an episode of the animated series. So uh, you can yeah. go look up which ones all of those are <laughs> on your own Memory time. Memory Alpha has all of them and their whole history and everything about them. God bless them. Right? But uh, it was, it, was just, it, it did bring up a lot of like past lore to, mm. to put it in there, which, you know, we've, we've mentioned past both last couple of episodes that uh, animation allows you to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing is, like, this show is very much a Star Trek show. Like, there's no question that it's in the Star Trek world. Again, they explained every single species pretty, like, quickly in this in this episode. So that anyone who didn't understand what a Ferengi was, like, knew that it was a bad idea to potentially trust a Ferengi or all those other situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it very much exists in the world of Star Trek, the universe, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I think the... the I agree that the, the writing... The in in episode writing, the dialogue writing was really well done, but the whole overarching storylines of both of the both of the plots were my not my favorite, and it, it, it does contrast with the pilot where I thought both were super strong. This one didn't seem like there was a lot of there might be like one or two details that are going to push us into the next episode or in the, the next season, but for the most part, this one is kind of just an episodic situation, and it can you can take it or leave it in terms of uh, a lot of things, you know. Let's move into talking about character development, because I think Mm -hmm. we're inching up on that. And there is, I think, in the big picture, not much happened uh, to our characters, but we found out Mm -hmm. quite a bit about them. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think we we, last episode, we were really um, wishing for more Rutherford. And like I said, we thought he was like the least developed of the the characters that we had met, or the main characters that we had met. So we got a lot of Rutherford in this particular episode, which was fun. I thought it was fun to see a lot of like the different jobs on the on the ship and the different cultures on the ship and um, Rutherford's strengths and weaknesses. And like it sort of ties back to the um, the simulation uh, episode of the uh, Ask Not simulation and what were the problems that we had mm-hmm. with that those simulations versus this simulation. So th- those were all really fun. I think we learned a lot about Rutherford. So that was fun. I don't know. But I think we, we had some questions about Rutherford that were never answered, right? Like where he get, got his scars from and where he got his eye from and all those other things that I think would be cool to know about him as well. 
Hopefully yeah, we'll get I, some of those later, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I, I would hope so. And I'm, I guess I'm still kind of left wondering, like, what actually are his abilities? Mm. I think, you know, the one scene in particular where he's fighting the, the Borg on the holodeck and he, he just takes them down. I mean, he takes on like 10 Borg drones at once and just destroys them. Um, and yeah, so it seems like maybe there there is some sort of uh, untapped potential mm-hmm. there that may come in handy um, on, on future missions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and isn't, I find it interesting that while he was fighting the Borg, he had this smile on his face the whole time. Like, this is so awesome. I'm totally kicking all their butts. But then... <laughs> He was like, oh, this isn't for me. (laughs) A little bit later, he decided it wasn't for him. And it almost feels like, even though he may have the skills to do some other things that may be perhaps extraordinary, he Mm. just wants to do this thing that's easy and and comfortable for him. Mm. Which I I found that's kind of an interesting... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Not the opposite, but it's kind of a different aspect of his personality because mm. he was taking a really difficult route to try mm-hmm. to find a way to be able to watch right. the pulsar with Tendi. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like right. who in their right mind would say, Oh, I, well, if in order to watch the pulsar with you, I need to change careers. Like, right. That's not. And, and also I find it so interesting slash problematic that, you know, then mm. it all comes around to, them sitting in the Jeffrey's tube with her watching the pulsar on a screen, mm-hmm. which is so crappy. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> like well, that's mean, like, not experiencing it, you know? Totally. I think it's, it's just so interesting though. Cause like I, I actually walked away from this episode. First of all, being like Rutherford being like, Oh baby, just tell just tell everybody the truth. It's okay. Cause when he, he told the engineering people, he's like, I wanted to try a different career. And they're like, that's great. And then he told the, you know, the security crew, like, I think this isn't for me. And they were like, that's great. Like it, what was, what I liked about it is like t- taking risks and having people not be angry at you for taking risks. I thought that was really nice. But then like for Tendi, like Tendi had literally heard Rutherford say, if I just quit my job, I can go to see the pulsar with you. And she was like, yeah. great. Awesome, because I'm alone, and I knew, and I need friends. And it's like, that's a little manipulative. Um, That's not great. And then to then have it be like, oh, don't even worry about it. You really went through all the effort for me. Like, you just heard him say that. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. It wasn't a surprise. He told you to your face that he would quit his job and get a new job so he could watch something with you. Like, So I, I actually walked away from that being a little bit uh, displeased with Tendi and yes. her character. Um, and it didn't necessarily, like advance anything in their relationship either whether it's a friendship or an attraction because they had that moment of connection in the at the end of the pilot where mm-hmm. they're both geeking out about the um the red alert and how it override like things override overrode the red alert situation so i, I thought that was like a fun a connection with them at the end of the pilot but like this doesn't really do anything for their relationship because you know rutherford not doing anything with tendy and tendy's not giving anything up or is giving up something to hang out with rutherford but then like doesn't have to like they can <laughs> hang out at other times so i don't right. i just didn't understand it it didn't feel i thought seeing a lot more rutherford was fun and i think he's a really fun character he's a really he's a big sweetheart but like i don't it didn't feel like it worked but it was it was the same thing as the other storyline where the stakes were all right. off and that's what yes. we're complaining about but we saw different parts of the ship we saw other characters mm-hmm. we had fun with the janeway protocol <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, in, the children are notes, all dead in my in my notes i just want to point this out because so everyone who didn't realize from the last two episodes 
Najiket's sexual awakening was Captain Janeway. And what? I need to know that. I've <laughs> never said that before, but um, my, my, so my, my notes literally say Janeway protocol, and then <laughs> in all capital letters, Notch! Like, just, I just... I, okay, he, I, I will, all I will say is when I was on the old Trek BBS back in the day, there were like a group of people that were obsessed with Janeway. I was not one of them, but I have been adjacent to that universe and I respect the hell out of people who are Janeway stands because good for you. And I, I just like that they left it kind of ambiguous as what the Janeway protocol is, yeah. but that all the children are dead. <laughs> another ship with more children in thousands of simulations that literally has never happened before <laughs> i mean like the, it, it, so so i mean I, I feel like that was again you know just putting rutherford in those situations mm-hmm. was kind of fun and we got to right. see that he's hopeless under pressure he absolutely loves engineering like beyond anything else in a pinch he is great at taking down even the board which Worf couldn't do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I think I think at the end of the day there is a little bit, you know, when we think and, and maybe it's time to move on to Tendi real quick uh, to finish her discussion as well. But like there is a little sense of like this is like Looney Tunes where if you think too hard about the mm-hmm. anvil falling on Roadrunner uh, or or right. Wiley Coyote and, and him still being right. able to get up, it falls apart. But you're not supposed mm-hmm. to do that. You're just supposed to like <laughs> be right. like, this is fun. I'm here for the ride. And there is no ground underneath me. It's cool. Right. Fun. And yeah. I will say, while we're talking about Rutherford, major respect to all the senior officers for being like, oh, yeah. you want to change? Oh, that's great. Good for you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you do that. Um, yeah, that was fun. Was good. So yeah. let's so talk I, about Tendi real quick. Just just okay. real quick. I, I really enjoyed that part two notch, but I, I thought it was funny how it's sort of kind of reinforced this stereotype of Starfleet as this, you know, touchy-feely place where, you know, if you want to switch departments and maybe pursue some other interests, of course, your commanding officer is just going to say, yeah, great, go for it, no problem. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, uh, also, the the first time in any Star Trek episode that we have seen a single character in uniforms of all three divisions. So, that's true. that. Ooh. Okay, so Tendi, mm. we didn't see much of Tendi except in the beginning when she was talking to Mariner and Boimler and then the Pulsar thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's very much we found out about her other than, you know, that she doesn't mind looking on screens at rare phenomena that she could go and look at in person. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, like maybe that's a Star Trek thing now. Like eyes are overrated, you know. <laughs> We're so just, you know, this is what happens. This, you know, you put a screen in every room. You raise your children on screens. They're touching, you know, iPads at two years old. And Where this are is your this pearls? is you need this to be is clutching them right now. Right, <laughs> rock music. Have I talked to you all about rock music and what mm. it is doing to and the universe's role, youth? I assume. Yeah, exactly. So uh, okay, so what we have from Tendi again, because I agree that she's like the least. Um, really expanded on character in the the main four people that we focus on in the in this show. What we see from her from these two last two episodes is that she's really excited to be part of the fleet and wants to learn a bunch of stuff. But then also like, I guess like it's, it, this episode she came off as pretty needy and pretty um, naive. I guess I would say. And so I I think we need to see more of her in order to like understand anything else that she cares about because we don't know. We don't know what her goals are. We know what Rutherford's goals are now. We know what Boimler and Mar- we know what Boimler's goals are. We know what Mariner's history is, and so we know more about them to understand why they're doing what they're doing. We just genuinely aren't given anything that's really of note about Tendi. And so, if you know, if we continue to not get anything from her, it's like I don't know. I feel like there's a there's sort of a there's a hole there that needs to be 
filled he's and expanded on you we're, know. we're in episode two of 10 so i i feel like yeah. they've got a lot of time to like work on that and and mm-hmm. and give us a, a segment that is focused on her so I, i'm sure Definitely. we'll see it yeah any other any other pieces on her before we move on the one thing i walked away with mm-hmm. was um i felt that she doesn't want to be alone and is willing Mm -hmm. to sacrifice her scientific curiosity in order to not be alone that i mean that's ultimately what happened Mm -hmm. in the episode which was Mm -hmm. you know because i doing science by myself is sad or i can't remember exactly how she said it yeah Yeah. Yeah, and so Mm -hmm. i I don't know but the end so then at the end so the science she totally you know uh, diminished the awesomeness of the science she was doing just so she didn't have to be alone which you know you can develop that into you can do cool that's things fair. with that development, yeah, but um, but you know, mm-hmm. just the way it was presented in this episode, it was kind of like, huh? <laughs> right, yeah. totally. Yeah. Uh, speaking of trouble, why, why don't we talk about Mariner next? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, who, who wants to start us off? I think Mariner's like the smartest character we've ever met. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly. I mean, like she. The only thing that she totally screwed up. Was the trying to use the communicator. You know, that was the one thing Boimler got right when he said, you know, well, apparently you didn't read the briefing manual. You would know that they have some sort of ion dampening field so that you can't actually, mm-hmm. you know, use comms or transporters. Um, but everything else she totally got right. And I mean, like to the extreme, knew how to mm-hmm. handle all of the different uh, different species that they encountered, and all of this. And the thing just at the end that drove me crazy is like, not only did she have to totally dumb down, like dumb herself down, and make herself appear stupid in order to make Boimler feel ba- better about himself, which I don't want to really turn Boimler into that because mm-hmm. I like him more than like if they did that with Ransom, I probably would have appreciated it more because he's super gross. But um, but with Boimler, I do feel bad for him. You know, he's trying so hard. And mm-hmm. but um, the thing that really frustrated me about it was like, so, I mean, women have to do this all the time, just kind of dumb down their and hide their abilities so that the men around them can feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. But but the other thing that's just flabbergasting to me is that Boimler fell for it. <laughs> or yeah. or he was so desperate to feel good about himself there is no way that mariner would have mistaken a ferengi for a bolian no way mm-hmm. like that's just the stupidest thing like she, like she didn't even just like dumb herself down a little bit she like went to the extreme and he was so desperate to feel good about himself that he just took it and ran mm-hmm. with it and then wanted to like drag her through and make everyone else realize how stupid she is and so that made me mad <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he is somebody who is uh, is being portrayed as kind of a little bit dim, and she is. I th- I think the 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 thing about her that I really enjoyed is that this is it was a display of her mentorship that she went through the trouble to get this Ferengi to um, do the whole show and the mm-hmm. charade, and so I think. What we did learn is that she really cares about Boimler and keeping him in Starfleet and like making him feel uh, like he wants to stay rather than leave. Mm-hmm. So the the whole part where she was like talking about being a mentor at the end of the last episode, that wasn't a joke. Like that's actually what we're seeing now play mm-hmm. out. And I'm curious to see where, where it keeps going. I think there's something interesting here too where, you know, for the first time we're seeing that... Um, 
you know, two people with the same rank can mm-hmm. vary considerably in terms of talent, in terms of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like on the bridge of the Enterprise, one ensign is basically interchangeable with another ensign, unless it's Wesley Crusher, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, Wesley. you know, now we see that... Um, you know, Boimler basically um, can't tie his shoes. <laughs> um, and so so we're seeing, you know, this this huge kind of um, disparity, I guess, in terms of talent level between mm. some of these folks. I will say, I, so I agree with Emily. There, the end of the episode really bothered me. And it bothered me for a couple of reasons. And I think, number one, it's just very convenient that Mariner is always right about something. Like, you, it's actually, it was actually probably better for the story for her to be wrong about something, but mm-hmm. it didn't have to be that obvious thing right like like i think this is what goes sort of adds to my prediction about mariner being wrong about something in the future in a future episode that really really like takes someone down like you know we in, in the very in the cold open we had a, a really short piece about her messing with what is it what's the energy being what's it called that energy oh. alien, energy ball yeah, yeah whatever the called. energy ball guy who uh uh she like blackmailed into making cool stuff for her um but that energy ball that little tiny blip actually went into the captain's chest so and then eventually like i don't know if you guys picked this up but uh in the simulation when um rutherford is responsible for the death of everyone on ship it said 105 percent casualty and he was like how can i be responsible for more than the the, the crew of the ship so like it was reg- probably possibly registering that there was a an energy being stowaway on the ship that's my prediction um but like yeah, I, I I just it makes me a little bit not angry, a little bit disappointed that I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed, a little <laughs> bit disappointed in the writing that Mariner is just always right about everything, or that the things that she's wrong about because she's wrong about a lot in this episode, but she never has to pay for them, right? Like mm-hmm. she's wrong about you know drinking with Corinne on the ship, like that's not actually a cool thing to do, and he ends up stealing the ship and going to find like they go on this whole thing, and it's all because of a choice that she made. She's wrong about, like, um, it just completely ignoring all Starfleet regulations just because she wants to. Like, that's not, that's also not okay. Um, and that's, and that's okay that she's wrong. It's okay for her to be wrong. She, but she's never really confronted with the fact that she has been wrong. And she's very, like, lackadaisical about, um, getting court-martialed, which is Boimler's, like, terrified of. Like, ah, court-martials are fun because she's the child of a captain and an admiral. She has a different... Thing. So I think all these things really contribute to the long-term characterization, which I think is really important. But then th- this episode ends with her orchestrating her being wrong about something instead of just it, she could just be naturally wrong about something and not have it be dumbing herself down for Boimler mm-hmm. and not have it be really conveniently tied up. And like it does show that she cares about Boimler, but I also thought her counseling Boimler through his breakdown, which was hilarious was also it also demonstrated that she cared and she it didn't have to go to that to the narrative lengths that it went to in order for her to be a caring person and for also for her to be wrong and have it help the storyline so mm-hmm. I, yeah i guess the, the the plot structure of this episode did bother me i was just gonna cap it my one little cap was you can give someone a win without it having to be at your expense absolutely so. right I, but, I do wonder if it's if that desire to not contradict boimler and let him kind of you know, have his fun at the end was was repentance for what happened earlier mm. in the episode because she was mm-hmm. responsible for his breakdown. Like, yeah. she's the one who got Corrin drunk, so Corrin stole mm-hmm. the shuttle. Like, she was the one who forgot about the ion field. And so mm-hmm. it was one of those situations that 
really it was her choices along the way like you were saying Diana she's she's never confronted with the like consequences of her actions mm-hmm. explicitly but Boimler's breakdown is one of those consequences because she was like ah we'll just manage it'll be okay like we'll be fine and Boimler's mm-hmm. like uh oh the last thread holding my brain together is like frayed <laughs> so I wonder if that's just kind of it was never and I think it was not made clear so this is just right. like something we that can assume mm-hmm. but it would have been nice again for the two of them to be on level footing at the end of the episode rather than kind of this like, well, I'm going to take the L in the bar and then later yeah. I'm going to pull out this pad and be like, ha-ha, I get the win. So uh, it's it's complicated. A- any last thoughts on Mariner or can we move on to Boimler? We move on to Boimler, I think. He's so, getting married after this, right? Sure is. <laughs> that dress uniform is so good. <laughs> He's just so cute. I mean, yeah. like, you know, they're so cute at that age. But <laughs> baby I mean, he's oh a dim bulb, and it's 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 endearing how dim he is. But like, uh, I I just I wonder how how they're gonna transform this dude into like what, what's his yeah. end game? Like, is he gonna be yeah. like, you know, maybe Starfleet isn't for me, or is he gonna end up in like the warp in the cell, being like, I'm in charge over here, and like everyone ignore like what? Where do you go from someone just being? Not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm struck by the fact that this is, you know, the second episode in a row where he's sort of grievously injured. <laughs> um, almost the same spot, in fact, yeah. <laughs> you know, like first episode got his, I think his leg chopped up. This episode, he's got some kind of like spikes stuck in his thigh. Yeah. And we'll see if we keep the streak going next week. But um, yeah, this is not it's a good It's all the same leg, him. too. Right. It's, really, it's just not, that left leg is really struggling. <laughs> But I would say, I think for what I liked about his characterization in this episode was that, like, it, he didn't lose any, like, his his change of heart at the end of the pilot didn't mean that he's just never going to care about looking good for his superior officers. He's never going to care about, like, status or getting cool assignments. Like, he definitely cares about those things. Um, and so, you know, his dress uniform was really cute. And actually, like, I only picked up on in the dress uniform right before she was like, are you getting married? What's with the dress uniform? What's going on? That was really fun. Like him just being like super ready and super eager and ready to be to be right. I think to your question, Nachika, I think like what I like about Boimler specifically is that he is the perfect foil for Mariner. Like they are both really impulsive. They both really believe that they're right. They both are, are intelligent. I just think that but the point that Boimler, that was made about Boimler's character to, today, or this episode, was that um, he is very much by the book because he doesn't have any experience. And Mariner is very much by experience because she doesn't believe in the book, right? And so they, they do play off of each other really well. And so maybe the end game is that they meet in the middle somewhere, both of them. So it's not all experience and it's not all regulation that there's some level of flexibility and application of their intelligence, both like intelligent caution and intelligent um, rebelliousness or recklessness, you know. Maybe we'll have a Tuvix style accident that combines them into <laughs> Moimler. <laughs> uh, that's what we need. Definitely. <laughs> um, so one competent uh, Starfleet officer emerges from between them. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. Oh my God. Beautiful. Any other Boimler takes? You know, I guess I, I'm just trying to remember. Maybe you guys can help me out here. Have we have we had a character like this before in Star Trek who is, you know, this fixated on doing things by the book? You know, I think to some degree, like the Vulcans kind of fall in this mm. category. But usually, mm. I think the Vulcans have kind of like 
the the mental horsepower to to back it up. They usually get things done by following the rules. For Boimler, it doesn't quite work out because I don't think he's maybe up to that level. Yeah, I don't remember anybody who's that intensely into regulations. Do you guys? Like, I, th- I mean, I think about like people who are like kind of like boobs, like. Um, Bart was it named Barkley on the. Yeah, he's got a TV. little bit of Barkley to him. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I mean, G- Harry Kim in the very first episode is kind of like that. Oh line. yeah, sure, mm-hmm. okay. But then yeah. he changes pretty quickly from right, being right. Becomes like... just chill with Tom Paris, and then they're like the bros of Voyager. <laughs> and... We no longer have any problems. It's episode two, and we resolved everything. Right. I think it's kind of an ensign characteristic. I think the ensigns want to mm. prove themselves and want to show that they're worthy of being there, and so. I can see, I mean, I think Wesley mm-hmm. did that sometimes too. You know, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. kind of that they, they want to prove that they belong and that they, they do, they should be on the ship that they're serving. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I think like, mm-hmm. I mean, when we, what we know about Starfleet often comes in the form of like cited regulations from passages and different books and like different historical time periods. So I think like this is kind of the, not the dark side, <laughs> like, but the, like the logical extreme of Starfleet is like, you memorize all these rules. Now you are prepared to be in Starfleet. You know all the rules. Go practice these rules. And you know, we, there's a reason that we have captains and lieutenants and commanders and admirals as our main characters because they've gotten up far enough up in the ranks to not have to worry so much about all the rules that the ensigns and cadets typically would have to worry about. You know what? What I'm bas- what I'm hearing a little bit of is if Mariner were here, she'd be telling me to shut up. This dude is new. Give him a break, Notch. Like, he's going to be okay. Like, maybe on his next assignment, he won't be such a dim bulb. But, um, mm-hmm. what, what, hey, I'm going to ask us to take a quick break over here. We shall return with more character development and a lot more stuff. I should just turn in my uniform and go work on a research asteroid. <gasps> no, absolutely not. Do not even joke about that. That is the lamest thing you can do. I should just study bugs on a far-off planet and then eventually get eaten, and no one will even know until they stumble across my distress call, but it'll be way too late, and then they'll have to spend a bunch of time deciphering how things went wrong based on my final shaky video logs. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We are in the midst of discussing what we've learned about various characters during second episode of Star Trek Lower Decks Envoys. We were discussing Brad Boimler. Any any final Boimler takes before we move on to the world of Trek? I'd be okay if he stopped yelling so much. He, oh my God. he yells a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. People were talking about oh. how like extra Mariner is. I I don't find that with her. I find that with him. <laughs> Yeah. He needs So I will also mention that he has purple hair, which I did not notice in episode one. Oh. No, I didn't recognize that yeah. at all. He has purple eyebrows too. Yeah. So, you know, good for him. The world of cartoons. We don't recognize the things. Yeah, right. Good for good for him. And um, <laughs> for I, hey, going back to Mariner for a second, can we? Well, this could be actually World of Trek because what we've learned about. One thing that we learned about the world of Trek is apparently there's a book of conisms around that Mariner has read <laughs> and she yep. recites in yep. her sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I, I was, I, 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 I had to rewind and be like, did she just say what I thought she said? Because, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and for those of you listening, being like, what are you talking about? Uh, the scene where she's snoozing. And and she's just about to be woken up. In her sleep, she says, buried alive, marooned for all eternity, which is what Khan said mm-hmm. when Kirk left him on regular. So 
Right. <laughs> but like, why would that be in, I know it's, it's, it's like a good quote. I think it's funny, but like, why would that be in a book of your quotes? <laughs> like we talked about before, before we started recording, we talked about like how everything is attributed to like Abraham Lincoln and like mother Teresa and like online image quotes and stuff. But it doesn't make sense that like that quote would be in the book of Godisms <laughs> out of all of the things that he said. It, I don't know. So it was a little bit more of like definitely a fan service moment. I actually was before she like specified that that was what she was talking about. Um, I kind of thought she was getting like a flashback and we we're going to see something of what she'd experienced before. And I thought that was kind of cool. But she was like, oh, it's a great dream. Man, I was thinking about that book. I'm like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I just wish Boimler, after she said that, would have been like, come Anyway. He doesn't have the uh, sense of humor no. to do that. We also learned that captains need to really take a minute to think about their, you know, warp phrase in the world yes. of Trek. <laughs> well, I think that, that kind of spoiled, not spoiled, but kind of um, teased something you were saying as a prediction, Notch. And she's like, when we go to war, or if we get caught in a war, this is my warp phrase. And like, didn't last week, weren't you saying that there might be, that your prediction is that there's a war yeah, yeah. that happens in this show and that they have to be part yeah, of it? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I contributed, I said that the, one of some character, now I gotta remember what I was I got to go back and listen. Good thing these are recorded. Um, <laughs> wow. And, and you can listen to them at right? any point. Uh, I think one of the, I, I said that one of them was going to start a war. And I think it was mm-hmm. somebody else who said that we would see the Cerritos in a war being kind of useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or, that's right. That's right. Something like, I, I might have been Bill. I can't remember. I'll have to go back. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, um, but it's warp time. <laughs> if y'all were captains, what would your warp phrase be? Ooh, Max has been dreaming about this moment <laughs> his whole life. No, I, I don't have anything special to add here. I mean, I just want to be Jean-Luc Picard, That's right? True. I've, I've got to mm. go with, you know, engage or make it yeah. so. Um, you can't go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't know. I kind of like, as much as I love Star Trek, I feel like the, the whatever the, the thing is that you say before you go into battle or you go into warp drive is infinitely less cool than like, I don't know the Lord of the Rings big pump up scenes before the battle, like the 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 gladiator, like you are in Elysium and you're already dead. For this is like we're gonna go, we're gonna go to that. Well, you could say that <laughs> there. Though. If you're the captain, you know. You hey, push that button and we're gonna go. But, but places. you you and could inspire her and be like, you know, they will speak of us in the afterlife, and you know, you can you could do that if you want. You could engage. Engage is just so. I mean, so I think it's a it's a good all purpose for the for warp drive because you don't necessarily always go into war when you're in. Well, warp and drive. Patrick Stewart saying engage has all of that connotation, engage. like in mm-hmm. the intonation and and you know that his acting acting is has all of that. <laughs> did you know that he? Had, so this is a Patrick Stewart aside. I feel like there's was one for every episode. But did you know that he had a really thick Yorkshire accent when he was a kid? And so he had to like unlearn oh, I want his to childhood hear accent. That. I love Yorkshire yeah. accent. <laughs> so what he was saying is like he would do, he would study um, his, his his RP accent, his very Patrick Stewart accent, the, the one that he has right now, um, for his acting classes. And then he would have to go home to all of his friends, all of his mates up in Yorkshire, and like have to like drop the accent. And he would mix them up sometimes. And his friends in Yorkshire would be like, "No, man, you can't talk like that. You can't say that shit here. You have to speak like you normally talk." <laughs> So that's, that's Patrick Stewart corner for yeah, you. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, and, and now he's in, you know, been in the United States for a while. So, like, it's going to be interesting to go back. I'm, I'm watching I, Claudius at the moment, and he's in it for just a little bit with hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, although maybe it's a wig. I wow. Don't know. But 
I, yeah. Comparing his accent <laughs> over the years would be an interesting thing to do. So, Emily, what's yeah. your warp phrase? Oh, I don't know if I have Ooh. a warp phrase because, I mean, yeah, engage. What, 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 I was trying to remember what uh, Captain Pike's was. Punch it. Punch it. Punch uh, it. I was going to say mm-hmm. kick it. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Pop it. Do, 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 do. I think I would go <laughs> with uh, a hip hop, a hippie to the hip, hip. And, and, you know, I would. You would get kicked off of the starship. You would. There would be a mutiny, and you wouldn't be allowed to be It'd a captain be like, can, can you stop? You've reached the second verse. Can you just go now, please? That, that we I got a distress call. They're dying out there. <laughs> like you're just singing, Captain. Can we go? <laughs> Someone just needs to be. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I, I'm, I mean, this is like ultimate terrible fan service, but it would be fun to do like a different, maybe a different language and to be like the most fan service possible. You could definitely do like an Alan Z, like from Tenet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. But I don't know if that's a good or not. You know I, what I mean? Like it's, it was fun for, it's fun for him, but I don't know if that's a good Star well, Trek Well, then who did Geronimo? Situation. I can't remember. Was it, was Tenet or did Matt, Matt Smith, Smith do Geronimo? I think, I think it was Matt yeah. Smith who did Geronimo. <laughs> yeah. Trying to just copy paste. Gosh, we are all such nerds. I love it so much. Just the worst, man. (laughs) Just the worst. Speaking of nerding out, let's return to the other things we learned about the world of Trek, Mm -hmm. the aliens, other... Well, there were several things that jumped out at me as being from, like, callbacks to other episodes. So when you Mm -hmm. have Rutherford saying... um, I'm Starfleet. I never go back on my word. Totally a callback to Wesley and Justice when he says, oh, yeah. I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. You know? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> anyway. It's just, um, apparently we do. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, so I, I felt like they even, like, I felt like he even said it in a similar mm-hmm. tone to how Wesley said it. Totally. Um, totally. And then uh, when they talked to, oh, when she walks on, when they walk out into the Klingon district and they talk about the smell of the Klingon district, I wondered if it had an earthy pedia aroma with a hint of lilac, just like Worf, Ooh. you know, trials and tribulations yeah. when they were talking nice. about what yeah. Klingons yes. smell like. <laughs> and I don't know if that's specifically how Worf smells or if it's how Klingons <laughs> smell. Smell just in general. I like, we talked about this before, but um, I thought Boimler's breakdown was really fun. I mean, it was really, like obviously a moment for him, like personally that he was really struggling mm-hmm. with his own, uh, inadequacy and stuff but like all the things that he was the most afraid of are literally plot lines of other star trek episodes where he's like i'm gonna go study bugs and then something terrible is gonna happen and then i'll only catch my distress signal but it'll be too late and then we'll have to spend lots of time figuring out what happened and what went wrong and i was like i've seen yeah (laughs) yeah exactly every single one of those episodes i have seen (laughs) so this it was fun it was like fan service but also I don't know. I was like, also, if you had never seen another episode of Star Trek, it would just be like, this is an elaborately detailed worst fear that you have. There was one scene in the episode where I wished I had been watching it with my brother in the same room because we both would have jumped <laughs> up and been like, yes. And it was when um, when he said, nuk, nuk, to greet the, Kling- the Klingon. I think it was Boimler who says it. Yeah. So um, uh, we used to live in California. And um, that meant we were not very far from Las Vegas, which meant we could go to Star Trek uh, The Experience. Oh, and so I think cool. I've been there like four times. I think, I think this first part of the story actually... Uh, was when I was there by myself. I was there with some friends from college. We were this part of our choir tour. We ended up there. And um, my one of my friends was a total Star Trek nerd just like me. So he and I were having a conversation with a Klingon who was there on the promenade at Star Trek The Experience. I don't know if you're all familiar with Star Trek The Experience, but it was, yeah. But it's a whole experience. It was like Deep Space Nine, 
it was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so they had the jealous. promenade. It was amazing. Oh <laughs> so, so sad it doesn't exist anymore. But um, so this Klingon came over and was talking with us. And so we talked with him about what would be an appropriate greeting so that we, you know, would be taken seriously by a Klingon. And he said, nook, nook. You know? So anyway, so he called us that phrase. And he said, basically, it means, what do you want? <laughs> that's the the standard polite Klingon greeting so then when the next time I went to Star Trek Las Vegas I was with my family and my brother was with me so you know I would have been like 18 and he was eight or something like that but so we went over and we're like talking to the Klingon we walked up to him I think Adam was like you know or we were eating in the restaurant or something so it was just awesome to hear that in the episode, I was like, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, totally. And I I enjoyed the fact that they mixed in some Discovery Klingons with the traditional looking Klingons. (laughs) There were were some Discovery Mm -hmm. style hairless Klingons in there too. So Mm -hmm. apparently... And there was no boob window. No, there was zero boob window. I was glad about that. mm, Yes. Listen, get rid of the goddamn boob window. Listen. (laughs) Warriors don't need a boob window. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I hate it. Listen, that's the one thing I hate about like all sci-fi costumes that obviously are designed by men. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, yes, she's a warrior, but she needs to have big tits, and you need to see the tits that she has. But she's serious warrior, Mm -hmm. so she'll just have a gigantic keyhole in her neckline, so you can see the cleavage. But it's technically a high neck. You're like, why are why are we doing Mm -hmm. this? Why can't we have nice things? Can we have any nice things? The only acceptable place to to do that (sighs) is when you have if you're showing a a Star Trek show that follows the Edo, the the aliens from that Justice episode with Crusher who wear the jumpsuits (laughs) and everybody's got (laughs) hanging Mm -hmm. low, and you know you got a little. uh, a mm-hmm. uh, little bulge action going on in, in various places. Um, so, <laughs> do you think that's like a, a, a real part of like a design issue, or do you think it's just like the fabric that they had the budget for? Because the budget was like maybe twelve dollars. I think they didn't so, think like, things it, it shows all the bulges. Well, you know, like all of Jake bulge. Sisko's outfits. Good lord! I, I did not God. pay attention to that. <laughs> Not something. Well, I how did you it's not like, pay attention like, to that? It's Jesus. like you don't have to try to pay attention to it. <laughs> It's like, it, it calls attention to us. It's really like, I stayed at a Marriott in, o- in Omaha, Nebraska, and I stole the fabric from its couch, and I made it into Jake's costume for this week. Like, I too went to a, a thrift store from <laughs> circa, like, 1974 and got the worst possible outfits I could for this tall, lanky child. Like, just, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, man, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, like... World, Star Trek world connections, the universe connections that you noticed that we haven't talked about. I think we've talked about most of them. Um, you know, like others have mentioned, I think just seeing kind of the diversity that mm-hmm. would exist on a Federation planet was really great, you mm-hmm. know, because obviously in theory, this is this, you know, great um, sort of multicultural society. And yet whenever the Enterprise shows up anywhere, Everybody looks the mm-hmm. same, right? And, and they're like, usually make a lot of wearing sense. outfits, especially in the original series. They're wearing outfits that conveniently come from other movies made by Paramount. Like, yeah. this is the Roman <laughs> planet. This is the gangster planet. <laughs> oh, God, the Roman oh, planet. So I forgot good. about that one. Yeah, oh, my God. Oh, the, yeah. sp- the space Irish one that I would not stop laughing oh, at me about. Jesus. Yeah, that's just so bad. I think they did that uh, in, like, three different series of Star Trek. It's so bad. It's so, so, so bad. But, you know, I guess the the one part of their visit to the planet that um, surprised me a little bit was sort of the section of town 
that uh, that looked like Risa, and they're <laughs> mm-hmm. talking about Jamaharan, and I was like, does this happen on other planets? Yeah. I didn't realize that this that this happened in other places. I thought that was a the strictly Ryzen sort of pleasure tradition. Like it's the whole reason you yeah. go to Risa. Like so, it shouldn't right. be present on outposts, I would think. But right. But maybe this this like pleasure cult is uh, slowly spreading throughout the Federation. <laughs> maybe everybody <laughs> wants to do this stuff now. I wonder, like, I guess maybe the Klingons are like totally cool with it because I feel like if. I think that's the issue is that, like, if you are near a lot of Klingons and you mean a lot of mischief, I don't know if they would put up with you trying to lay their eggs in your throat. You know what I mean? I think that Klingons would be like, nah, and I'm going to kill you for it. Yeah. That's an insult to my people, my ancestors. What are we doing? I don't know. Any final wrap-up about this episode that y'all want to touch on before we move on? Seeing shaking heads, which our podcast listeners cannot no. see. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> no, nine. Yes, I think we're good. <laughs> no, perfect, perfect. Well, well uh, let's let's wrap up with something new that is not in the notes that I just thought about right now. And if it doesn't work, I can oh edit it out. God. So if you can hear this, listeners, good job. We did a good job in the next few minutes. Is this an improv show? Are we improv? I want to know what your strange new rating is for this episode. Oh. And and so. You, you can feel free to use any scale you want, A, A to B, 1 to 10. All I ask is, let's not do the like net proponer scale for marketing, where it's like, if it's not a 5 out of 5, you have failed, oh, yeah. everything. Like, yeah, no. I, if it's if it's a B, <laughs> that's still good. Okay? So that, I'm going to yeah. insist on as that. Preaching to the choir, man. As a teacher, I'm like, Bs are yeah. good. You're doing a good job. And kids are like, I'm going to die without a Harvard degree. I'm like, oh, okay, you're 14. Shut up. But yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So Envoys, how do you, like, mm-hmm. if you had to put a rating on it, what would it be? I would say it's an 8 out of 10 for me. It would, or maybe 7.5, somewhere around there. Because it's definitely better than average. Especially, like, if we think about, it's, it's unfair, because it has one episode in this particular mm-hmm. show. So a lot of the comparison I'm doing is, like, to all other Star Trek episodes, and some have been garbage and some have been really good so like it's maybe a little bit unfair but the writing in general is good and the storyline was disappointing but not garbage you know what i mean so i think there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of like the long-term story and what the long-term story is like and then also if we're gonna do all these b plots the b plots have to make sense if that Mm -hmm. is uh clear but in terms of the episode itself, I, it was enjoyable. I would watch it again. I would never, I wouldn't resist watching it again just because it fell short of some of my expectations. So I would say 7.5 to 8 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in here and uh, give this episode a 7 out of 10. Um, really enjoyed it overall. Uh, solid humor. Um, I think this is something I could just kind of put on the TV mm. and, and enjoy watching anytime. Um, but I don't feel like the series has really gotten to the the point of like appointment viewing yet, where mm. I, I really need to see this episode as soon as it comes out. I think, you know, kind of um, building off of some of what we've already discussed today. I think what this show, for me, as a longtime Star Trek fan, is doing so well is just kind of expanding the universe. Mm-hmm. It's showing me aspects of the Federation, of you know, life on a starship that we just haven't seen before. And you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and you know, initially I was kind of 
I don't know, hesitant about the idea of an animated Star Trek show. Mm. But I think that actually um, that medium allows them to do all kinds of things that they couldn't do Mm -hmm. um, just because of like the budget, right? Like it's much cheaper to animate the the Klingon part of town than it is to build a set for it, right? And so I think in, in a way that I really wasn't expecting, we get to see some stuff we haven't seen before. And I love that. Totally. Emily, what did you think? What's your rating? Well, I was going to say four out of five, so I did mine on a different scale, but, you know. Yes, do your own thing, do it. But (laughs) because, I I mean, it wasn't like the most amazing thing I've ever seen, but it was enjoyable. Mm. I had a good time while I was watching it. it. There were a lot of callbacks that were done in such a way that it didn't just feel like it was fan service. It was just like, Mm -hmm. but lots of little things that were sprinkled throughout the episode that just had me thinking about other episodes of Star Trek and other things I'd seen. And that's super enjoyable. I love that. So um, it's just like when I'm watching a TV show and some random Star Trek thing shows up in it, you know, it's like, it's just, it's, so this is fun. I get to watch something where there's lots of random Star Trek things that (laughs) show up in it. So yeah, that's why I'd give it a four out of five. I was mm-hmm. I was at an eight, but y'all convinced me to push down to a seven <laughs> with the discussion. <laughs> oh no, so, it's a little bit of group no. thing. I, I but this is the thing that happens on a podcast, and I think especially with a twenty-six minute episode that is animated, again, it's it's mm-hmm. that Looney Tunes problem. You think too much about it, and you discuss it, and you break it down. Sometimes it it introduces some criticisms that maybe when you watch it once or twice, you don't necessarily catch, mm-hmm. uh, depending on who you are. So um, I I don't regret that at all i enjoy this podcast very much and i think it adds a lot to my experience of the show but uh y'all did convince me that this episode could have done a little bit better at the same time (laughs) it's still excellent uh you know diana Mm -hmm. you mentioned the scale of star trek i was using like just an enjoyment scale like but on the scale of star trek i would probably put it a little bit higher uh than that yeah but uh okay well that's it for our discussion of envoys is there stuff that's Yay. coming up on this series that you want to talk about real quick, or are we good for the week? I'm, I, I, the only thing I'm, the only, my only curiosity is if this uh, energy being comes back. Like I want to, I want to know if that happens because first of all, it'd be really smug, but secondly, <laughs> like that would be kind of a cool like throwaway cold open that actually connects to the larger story of the show. Mm-hmm. So I want to see if that's if that's a real thing mm-hmm. or if that's just something I've, I've, I've created in my own mind. Yeah. And I'll just I'll just say in the opening sequence, um, there is just a, a very short clip of some Romulan warbirds oh, yeah. fighting Borg cubes. And as a total geek about sort of the the ships and like the naval combat aspect of Star Trek, I've always wanted to see that matchup. <laughs> and I, I don't really think we're going to see it. But it God, if, cool. if we could get that in an episode, I would love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I will add. Uh, finally, that I I do think those cold opens are gonna be throughout the series as kind of mostly mm-hmm. standalones, but we'll see if they how much we did see that the um, the mention of the, um, the, the 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 was in the last episode some somebody online mentioned that the reason Boimler might have been really suspicious of Mariner is because he sees her walking around with a crate full of weapons that she's got from the the starbase, so he mm. assumes. That the box on the back of her Jeep 
or whatever the thing is called, the space oh, jeep. Oh, is weapons. It's the same box she was wheeling around earlier space in the shovels. episode that had weapons. So we do see some relationships mm-hmm. with these cold opens to the rest of the show. Uh, also, there are some spoilers about what we're going to see in the next episode online. If you go and read articles mm. with uh, Tony Newsom or, or the other creators, they've, they've dropped a few hints and they are freaking hilarious. I'm not going to put them over here, but I am really looking forward to some of the later episodes in this in this season because what i've heard is it, it's that same thing where you know that they, they're this is a this is a an appreciation of trek in a different way where we can mm-hmm. lovingly poke fun at some of the tropes while enjoying reliving that those tropes exist and why we all appreciate them mm-hmm. so and and that's coming <laughs> yeah. up in, in the in the rest of the season if you go if you go seek out some of these interviews and, and listen in Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for you this week. And uh, before we go, I will I will encourage everybody again to follow us on, at Strange New Takes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can follow our and subscribe to our podcast on Acast, iTunes, Google Podcast, and Stitcher, and a bunch of other places. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your tell your cousins. Tell your yeah, siblings. Yeah. Please, please spread the word about us. Post about us on Reddit if you can. On other mediums where you congregate with other Star Trek fans. And with that, I'd like to thank Dinah. I'd like to thank Max. I'd like to thank Emily. I am not thanking specifically. <laughs> they will not be thanked. <laughs> Bill, Adam, and Rudy. Because they're not here. How dare they? Um, <laughs> I would also thank the uh, Vendorian for for showing us that mm. you know sometimes it's nice just to transform into a different body and crawl out of a window. And, and how nice would it be if we could all do that sometimes? You know. <laughs> so thank you, Mr. Vendorian. Especially on dates. Yeah. <laughs> thank you to Dishnu Guha as well for our theme music. To go listen to his podcast, Geek Fruit, as well. Um, yeah. All right, everybody, take it easy. We'll return with more strange new takes next week. It's warp time.